minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack-A-Day Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. We are the first 365-day-a-year Packers podcast, and you can get all of your Pack-A-Day updates by following us on Twitter at Pack-A-Day Podcast. And remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And of course, you can always check us out on CheeseheadTV.com. My name is Kyle Fellows, and I'm joined by my co-host, Andrew Mertig. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hey, Kyle. The fourth preseason game is over, and we can officially look forward to finding out who the 53-man roster is, and then... Some actual regular season football. I, I'm getting really excited about it. Um, but before we jump into what the game looked like tonight and, and some other thoughts that we have on the roster, I just wanted to say congratulations to our contest winner uh, that won the Lambeau Field print at Robbie Vegas 17. So if you didn't get a chance to check that out, you can find artist uh, Daniel Duffy at Real Art of Words on Twitter or at artofwords.com. That's a really cool print, and I am hoping to add one to my man cave because I think I think it looks just awesome. It has all the the names of all every Packer player who's ever played, so that is a really cool piece. That is awesome. So congrats again to our winner, and uh, we want to get right into some crazy stuff that happened. Um, obviously Wednesday was a crazy day to be a Packers fan. We started the day with. Uh, the news of Hundley's trade to Seattle, and then we were blessed with the news of Aaron Rodgers' contract extension. So if you missed yesterday's podcast with Andy and Dusty, you need to go back and give that one a listen. They did a great job talking about trades and contracts and salary cap and breaking down just about everything that happened this week. So go back and check that one out after, of course, you finish this fantastic episode. Uh, But we want to get right into what we saw out there on the field tonight in what was the Packers' fourth and final preseason game. Um, The Kansas City Chiefs did defeat the Green Bay Packers 33-21. Obviously, there are a lot of players on the field tonight who know that they're making one final audition to make the Packers' 53-man roster. So we want to take a look at some guys who stood out and some guys who might be losing some sleep tonight after the way that they played. So, Andrew, let's talk about some guys we thought played really well tonight. Yeah, and before I get into that, one thing I wanted to mention is that it is super easy to blow off the fourth preseason game as just a practice run for the second string and a bunch of guys who are going to get cut on Saturday. But you have to remember, these players are really important. These are the guys that are going to fill in when there's an injury um, or who are going to be activated and making special team stops in let's say, the NFC Championship game. We've seen that before. We've seen important playoff games and even a Super Bowl where guys that weren't even on the roster to start the season were making big-time plays. So we we definitely want to pay attention to them. We want to remember what Mike McCarthy said about thinking about a 63- or a 70-man roster when we're evaluating some of these players. The first guy I thought who played really well tonight, and this is sort of a grain of salt, some good, some bad, was Greer Martini. One thing I noticed immediately, he had the sticker on his helmet. He was the one out there calling calling the plays. He made some nice plays, but you also definitely saw his physical limitations in coverage against tight ends and running backs. I don't think there's any way the Packers would have given him that opportunity to lead the defense 
if they didn't think seriously about it, if they didn't see this as an audition for him. While I actually like Antonio Morrison more as the backup run stuffing linebacker, I think if the Packers keep five inside linebackers, Martini is going to be in. And at worst, I'm really hoping he can make it to the practice squad because you can see the, the instincts, the smarts, the really understanding the game of football with Martini. I think there's some physical limitations that might prevent him from being a real impact starter, but he's a, a real solid depth guy and a good guy to have on special teams. Yeah, I agree. I'd heard a lot of rumors about how well Greer was playing in practice, but I hadn't seen it show up really consistently throughout any of the preseason games personally. Uh, but tonight I did think that he showed up. So it will be interesting to see if he's able to make that 53-man roster Definitely. or not after the good showing tonight. Um, if you have listened to Andrew and I on Fridays before, you know that Andrew might be the world's biggest Robert Tanyan fan. So I feel a little bit dirty for putting him on my list of guys that played really well tonight because I feel like Andrew should be talking about him. But Tanyan had himself a night tonight. He had a great contested catch and showed great hands and concentration on a catch uh, in the middle of the field. And he showed the hands to secure the ball. It wasn't an easy catch. So And then he also had the touchdown in the back of the end zone. So really a great night all around for Tanyan. The Packers made Lance Kendricks a captain for this game tonight, so it's hard to see them cutting Kendricks. Uh, but Tanya might have put a lot of pressure on the Packers to think about keeping four tight ends on this roster. Um, Andrew, were you proud of your boy Tanya out there tonight or what? Yeah, I really liked the way he played. And in fairness, I've said this before, but I think Andy Herman is an even bigger Tanya fan than I am. I really, I, I've thrown this idea out there before. I really like the idea of keeping four tight ends, even at the expense of having a fullback on the roster, because I think Lance Kendricks can play that H-back kind of role out of the backfield. So loved what Tanya did. I, I thought he made a big time impression. And I have a feeling if he doesn't make the Packers 53, they are not going to be able to get him back to the practice squad because he put too much good stuff on tape. My next positive guy is Equinemius St. Brown. And you know, I've been on the ESB train for, for quite a while, uh, since even pre-draft, he had a bunch of almost tonight and com combine that with some solid plays. You definitely saw his crazy athleticism. Six, five guys simply are not supposed to be able to move like he does and contort their bodies on the sideline, like that near catch he had on the boundary. I still just keep thinking every time I see him about that crazy play in week one of the preseason where he just stuck his foot in the ground after a catch and did a 180 spin up the field. He looked like Randall Cobb if Randall Cobb was 6'5". <laughs> what I'm really impressed with, honestly, is his blocking ability. Yes, I'm seriously talking about a wide receiver blocking, but he's really good. He, he puts the effort in. He's a big, physical, strong guy. And he can make an impact in, in that part of the game. And that's the kind of stuff that's going to get an uber-talented young guy a spot on the active roster. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that he has shown up so well as a blocker because one of the questions about him coming into the league was whether or not he wanted to give effort in places where he wasn't being showcased because he really didn't want to play special teams. So I think the fact that he's showing up in that way is really showing that he's willing to be a team player and make an impact on any play, any way that he can. So I agree. I think he's going to be a hard guy to not put on the team. 
Um, Aaron Jones is my next guy I want to talk about. It was really fun to see Aaron Jones get uh, some time out there on the field. Uh, normally a player like Aaron Jones is not going to see a lot of time in the fourth preseason game, uh, but with the suspension and the en- injury that he's had lingering throughout the preseason, the Packers probably felt like he could use some time um, in this game as an opportunity to kind of knock the rust off. Uh, he started the game with a catch on a swing pass from Kaiser, and you immediately could just see the explosive element that he brings to the offense. Uh, Jamal Williams is known as the guy who's going to do the hard running between the tackles, but Jones looked pretty strong out there tonight, and he looked like he was pretty tough to bring down. So uh, the balance that he showed on a screen pass from Kaiser in the second quarter was really remarkable. I think he broke two tackles on that play. So uh, he finished the night with eight rushes for 34 yards. And I thought, you know, obviously Aaron Jones is not someone who's on the roster bubble, but he just kind of reminded everyone how deep this running back position is when everyone is healthy and available. Yeah, and I I absolutely love Jones. To me, he's the guy with the most potential out of that group. So it was exciting to finally see him back on the field and and really uh, get his legs under him. So I want to jump right into my next one here. I predicted that Raven Green would make the 53-man roster when we did our predictions at the beginning of camp. And so uh, I did, you know, made that prediction mostly based on the very little tape that I was able to find. But really his knack for finding the football uh, was the thing that I was like, I think that the back end could use someone like that. And admittedly, it took some time, but Green showed up and he showed out tonight. Um, He had a forced fumble. He tipped a pass that Herb Waters picked off. And I thought his angles to the ball were really, uh, were just excellent. Uh, He took uh, great angles. And there was a couple plays where you could see uh, he and Marwin Evans both pursuing the ball at the same time. And Green was definitely the guy who was on the track to, to get to the ball first. Um, with equal opportunity. And so I think he just looks like he's finally playing fast out there. Maybe it took a couple weeks, but um, the rest of the safety group had some issues tonight. So I think Raven Green might have just maybe cracked the door open for himself to make this team kind of at the very last minute. So we'll see how that one shakes out. Yeah. And you said that you study Raven Green with uh, very little tape. I I think maybe we need to make a connection in the uh, James Madison football media department. Okay, let's do that. Just just in case, you know, for situations yeah, like that. That's, that seems like a good idea. What, one guy, and, and I like what Green did too, one guy that I wanted to talk about was Jason Spriggs, who, who often gets thrown under the bus, um, but he held up really well tonight. Um, I think after some further review, some of the harsh criticism of him last week was not really justified. And when you saw him playing alongside Herb Taylor, I thought they did a really good job of keeping Kaiser clean. He had some time. Um, you had mentioned in our roster predictions that with some increased strength, Spriggs could be a really good player because of his athletic traits. And I always view the Packer O-lineman as having a habit of really putting things together in year three. Not everybody is David Bakhtiari or Chad Clifton or Mark Tauscher that's ready to go year one. And, and I always remember how much T.J. Lang struggled early in his career before he really figured it out. And I think, you know, Spriggs could go a long way towards shoring up a backup tackle position that has become a major concern for this team. So now that we've talked about the guys who we thought did well, I wanted to talk about some players who might be losing a little bit of sleep about their positions on the roster. And you had mentioned Raven Green, and I thought he played really well. One of the safeties who did not play well was Jermaine Whitehead. If I could describe that 
performance in one word, it would be yuck. That's it, very profound of you. Yeah, that whole first drive was really bad. There were some blown coverages that were definitely in his realm. Um, I, I can't say exactly what coverage they were in because of watching it live, but um, there were definitely some blown coverages, definitely some assignments that he was not sure on. And I thought he would have gotten beaten by any route in the world on the Demetrius Harris touchdown. I don't know what he was doing. He was backpedaling from inside the end zone <laughs> and and away from the inside route. So I, I don't know. I couldn't figure that one out. Um, but Jermaine's probably losing some, some Zs tonight about yeah, he, his performance. He was not going to be beat deep in the end zone. That is for sure. <laughs> that is absolutely right. I don't know. He just like looked a little bit lost on that play, and uh, just in general, kind of like he's kind of touted as one of the coach's players, I think, and he just did not look like he had it tonight. So we'll see how the safety position shakes out uh, when they come out with these fifty-three man roster numbers. But um, Tim Boyle, I hesitate to even say these things out loud because there are so many Tim Boyle truthers out there. And I waited as long as I could to put Tim Boyle into this category of somebody who might be losing sleep tonight. But he had a pretty dang awful night, okay? Um, 15 of 31 with two picks. He did have the touchdown, but he had the two picks. And a quarterback rating of 43.4, okay? So I know he's playing with the scrubs at the end there, but he looked awful. He, He didn't look like the same guy that we had come to know and love these last couple weeks I guess we didn't see him last week but man he was not the legend of Tim Boyle tonight so uh that's not to take away what from what he has shown in the preseason but tonight he showed everyone I think more of what he is um, a very raw inconsistent developmental quarterback with an incredible amount of upside um but all reports indicate that Green Bay plans to keep him on this 53-man roster but tonight his play definitely looked more like a guy destined for the practice squad. And it's really hard with this recency bias to feel like that there is a team in the NFL who's going to look at their 53-man roster and think that Tim Boyle needs to be on it. So I don't know. We'll see uh, how uh, how the Green Bay Packers assess uh, his play tonight with that uh, shaky offensive line and the tools around him that weren't ideal. But rough night for Tim Boyle. At, at this point, um, I'm thinking that we maybe need to stop the podcast, delete it, maybe <laughs> destroy our computers, and just pray that Andy Herman never gets wind of you saying this. I know. He's going to be in my mentions tomorrow on Twitter, I'm sure. I, so. I have a feeling that is going to be the case. If this um, is my last podcast on the Pack-A-Day podcast, it's been real, Okay. Thank you for listening. <laughs> can, can we agree on this? Tim Boyle looks really great when he just drops back and throws that deep sideline pass. He's got that one down. Like, he and looks good. Timing, like, when he has time in the pocket and he's trying to throw over the middle, there's some scary things happening and, and um, some things that are probably not very fundamentally sound. Oh, yeah. And and I totally think he's a practice squad guy. I don't think the Packers are going to have much of an issue getting him there, but with what the media is saying, I, I mean, it looks like he's going to be on the active roster. I don't agree with it, but, but certainly that's, you know, Brian Gutekunst's prerogative to do. Um, one other mention that I wanted to make about losing some sleep tonight, and that's me. Um, 
Kyler Fackrell started and he played all of the important defensive snaps in the first half. And he did flash on one speed rush. I thought overall he was relatively ineffective. And my eyes are drawn to him because, you know, I'm not a fan of his game. Um, But... I don't, it's like a train wreck. You can't like stop watching it. Right. And and I always I say these like really like hyperbolic things about Kyler Fackrell. I'm sure he's a really nice guy. I just do not like the way he plays. But I think he's gonna make the team. Not not based on what I like on film, but just based on all of the opportunities that they're giving him. Um I I love what Goot has done so far. But for me, keeping Fackrell is borderline unforgivable. And if he ends up costing this team a guy like Kendall Donerson, who I think is going to be really good, I am I'm going to lose it. I feel like you should like I don't know like when these cuts are going to be announced, like in the next you know thirty six hours, whatever it is. But you probably just like need to have someone on speed dial so that you can like call them. And like, just talk through this pain that you're going to be because because Kyler Fackrell is going to be on this team. I don't think there's any doubt about that. He's going to be a special teams contributor, and they they value him for whatever reason. So uh, be prepared for that dark moment in your life. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we want to wrap up our show tonight, and we want to spend a few minutes on a segment called Confessions. These are my confessions. Uh, over the last month or so, Andrew and I have made some bold claims and some hot takes. Some of these uh, some of these takes are going to take some time to play themselves out, but there are a few things that right now, even before cuts, we're willing to confess that we were just dead wrong about. And so I'm going to be the one uh, to go first here and humbly confess that I was wrong about former Packer Brett Hundley. Uh, I said on one of our early episodes that I thought backup quarterback was – Kaiser's job and that there wouldn't be really much of a competition, mostly because I didn't think Hundley would show much improvement from last season. So I was right about one thing. Uh, Kaiser will be your backup quarterback, but it isn't because Hundley played poorly. Uh, Honestly, I thought Hundley looked like the better of the two QBs and uh, showed great improvement in his ability to feel the rush and keep his eyes down the field. So kudos to Brett Hundley. And I have to confess, you proved me wrong. You earned Green Bay a sixth round pick. So Brett Hundley, we applaud you. Thank you uh, for your services. And I would like to point out that in the second episode of the Pack-A-Day podcast, I predicted that Brett Hundley would play well enough in the preseason to get traded for a low round pick. So, you know, sometimes you throw enough crazy predictions against the wall, something's bound to stick. And it has been pointed out several times that, yes, other people have made this prediction. So that's okay. But This is a confession session, though, not like a pat yourself on the back, Andrew. Like, I, we're I, supposed to be confessing. I thought every segment was a pat myself on the back. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. So my confession, if I'm playing this correctly, is uh, Devon House. I had assumed Devon was going to be roster fodder at this point. Um, with the return of Tremont Williams um, and all of our uh, new young corners, the triumvirate of Kevin King, Jair Alexander, and Josh Jackson, I figured somebody like Lindsey Pipkins or Josh Hawkins or Herb Waters would step up and take his job. But House has had a really good preseason, and he has been running with the first team a lot. And to me, nothing shows the Packers' incredible transformation at the position, like having House go from cornerback number one to cornerback number five in one offseason. 
And I really wouldn't be scared if he has to play this year. He he has shown an ability to to still be a productive NFL player. And at least he's an NFL caliber player, which is something the Packers haven't been able to say at cornerback number five in a very long time. This is absolutely true. That cornerback group looks a lot better than it did last year. Um, Andrew and I's first show together was a preview of the wide receiver position. And I have to confess that if not for Andrew, I might have forgotten to even mention the Wisconsin Whitewater prospect by the name of Jake Kumaro. Um, I was convinced that Kumaro was merely a camp body and one who had no chance at the 53-man roster. Uh, Well, here we are on the cusp of cuts, and Packers fans will have a collective fit if Jake Kumaro does not make this team. Now, the fan of me definitely wants to see that happen, but with him not playing the game tonight, I can definitely see from a GM's perspective how he might be hard to keep. Um, But he has clearly shown that he has what it takes to make an NFL team. So I have to confess that Jake Kumaro is someone I really wrote off as not having any chance at all, when in reality, he's proven himself to be probably the fourth most reliable um, NFL-ready wide receiver that this team has behind the likes of Adams, Cobb, and Allison. So confession, Jake Kumaro was a lot more of a real deal than I thought. Yeah, and I'm certainly not a huge fan of Kumaro, but admittedly, I was also wrong about him. Everything that I saw in his past said that he was going to be a big red zone target who had no suddenness to his game, but he's shown that he's developed enough athleticism that he can make a roster in the NFL. I don't necessarily think it's going to be Green Bay's 53. I think he could be a contributor at some point down the line. I don't necessarily think he's going to get picked up, even if he gets cut, because Every team out there has a project-wide receiver that they want to keep around. I'm thinking Minnesota Vikings have Chad Beebe, um, who you may know as Don Beebe's son. Um, He is a guy that they absolutely love and are trying everything to find a way to get him on the active roster, at least sneak him out of the practice squad. So there's going to be other guys out there. Um, I'm willing to admit that I was wrong about Vince Beagle. I really liked Reggie Gilbert last year, but I I assumed that Gilbert and Beagle were going to be neck and neck for the third edge rusher. And now Gilbert, of course, has ascended to the point where he's not even playing in the fourth preseason game. And Beagle looks like a guy whose roster spot could be at risk. I attributed a lot of his play last year to the injury, and I assumed he'd come back this offseason at full strength. But I have yet to see the explosiveness to make him anything more than really like a replacement level player in the NFL. He definitely has time to turn that career around, but it might not end up being in his home state of Wisconsin. So finally tonight, I wanted to talk briefly about Khalil Mack, since of course he has Packers Twitter all above now that the Rogers contract is finished. As was discussed on yesterday's episode with Andy and Dusty, it seems unlikely the Packers would be able to afford a MAC contract with the Rodgers extension actually adding a tiny bit of, of money to the cap. However, there is the possibility that Randall Cobb could be cut or traded to make up cap space, or maybe Cobb or Clay or both could be restructured or extended. However, while I was adamant before that taking a you know trade for MAC, no matter what the price is, attitude is a good idea. I believe two first round picks is a little bit too much. Not that Khalil Mack's not worth two first round picks, but if you look at it, if Mack shows up partway through the season for Oakland to get that year of credit towards his contract, the Raiders would franchise him at the end of the year. 
And if some team came along and offered him a big deal, I can't see any way Oakland's going to match that. So the team that signed him is going to owe Oakland two first-round picks. But no other team has two first-rounders this year. So in essence, the Raiders would be trading for a 2019 first and a 2020 first. Well, the trade value of a 2020 first-rounder would be a 2019 second-rounder. So I would be really hard-pressed to give the Raiders anything more than a first and a second. And perhaps, knowing that they don't have a ton of leverage, maybe even a first and a third that can be elevated to a second as long as Mac takes a certain number of steps, which really helps to um, you know, avoid the bust of, of an injury during the year. So what do you think about that? All right, so I am actually a little bit on the opposite side of this. I am a huge NFL draft person, so anytime people talk about giving away picks, I'm like, heck no. Like, I want my picks. I want to be there in April to see the guys walk across the stage, you know, those kinds of things. But the reason I think that the Packers might just do this and trade for Mac is simply because he's such a rare player. And the reality is that the team is highly unlikely to find that kind of player at the end of the first round where we would expect both the Packers and Saints picks to be in this next year's NFL draft. So uh, just for comparison, over the last three seasons, pass rushers taken at the end of the first round include uh, Tech McKinley, Taco Charlton, TJ Watt, Emmanuel Agba, Kevin Dodd, Shaq Lawson, and Shane Ray. Okay, Now, there are some players in there that could definitely develop into some special players, but none that we would expect to come even close to being the player that Mac already is. So, yes, it would take a lot of financial creativity. And, yes, two first-round picks is a lot to give up. But the reality is that most NFL teams would jump at the opportunity to find a way to pay Khalil Mack the insane amount of money that it will take uh, to get him under contract. Um, and so while it is unlikely, uh, considering the current salary cap situation, I'm not convinced that Brian Gutekunst and Russ Ball might see it as a really rare opportunity to acquire, uh, to acquire a very, very special player. There are ways that they can do this. There are obviously some big names coming off the payroll next year in Cobb and Matthews. Um, there are a couple players that they could, I think they could uh, clear about 6 million in cap space by releasing, um, offensive line, Byron Bell, uh, safety slash cornerback, Quentin Rollins, uh, and one other player that's escaping me right now, but there's like 6 million sitting out there that might just come free tomorrow, like after cuts. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that they might have the money to, to bring in Mac. Um, but he's a special player and one that the Packers could just see as a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Yeah, and I think we can both agree, regardless of whatever the compensation would end up being, if the Packers can find a financial way to fit Khalil Mack into their salary cap picture, they've suddenly become the Super Bowl favorite and you know the, the most interesting team in the NFL. Right. <laughs> and so hopefully that's what we're going to be talking about next week is the addition of Khalil Mack. That will be next week's podcast from Andrew and myself. Breaking <laughs> down the addition of Khalil Mack, the latest Packer. So this has been the Packaday Podcast. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore Pundit. And you can find me at Andrew Mertig. Please remember to follow at Packaday Podcast as well. Remember to subscribe to the Packaday Podcast. 
Tomorrow's episode is going to be hosted by Jake and Mark. And of course, there will be a new show every single day. Listen this weekend during your fantasy football drafts and get all the latest breakdowns on the Packers' push to the 53-man roster. You can catch Kyle and myself every Friday. We'll be back next Friday with a preview of the Packers' first regular season game against the Chicago Bears. Thanks so much for listening, and as always, remember to... Rodgers gets the snap. Blitz is on. Rodgers scrambles He's left. Winds up. Rainbow. Bob. He's got Cobb in the 10 to the yes. To the end zone. Touchdown. And a dagger. Oh, my goodness. An NFC North Division Championship dagger of 47 yards. Hasselback maybe changing the play of the line. Looks left and right. Takes the snap. Short drop. Quick throw. Left shot. Yes. Scrambles to his left under pressure, rolling right, escapes, right side looking, rainbows high and deep into the end zone, and it is caught for a touchdown, a leaping touchdown catch is made and the Packers have won, unbelievable.